0: Good morning. Good morning. What a great morning of worship. What a great time of just being in the Lord's presence. Thank you, worship team. And wow, I just love what God's doing and the way God's moving here at Rolling Hills. Uh, you know, we live in a performance oriented society, don't we? You know, everything is about performance, and everybody judges one another based on valuations and how we're doing and how we do compared to others. And it's all about performance. Um, this was kind of the first trophy that entered our house for our girls. It was a uh, gymnastics trophy that our oldest daughter, Grace, earned. Um, now, before you think that we're going to go off to the Olympics or anything like that, uh, she got this trophy because she attended for one year. And so she made every class for a year, and so she got a trophy. Really, I think it should be my trophy. We were driving her to that class, but uh, we earned it as much as she did. But what that did was that set off kind of a firestorm in our home that everybody wants a trophy, right? And so then Mabry wanted a trophy, and Kate wanted a trophy, so they wanted to be in soccer gymnastics or ballet because you get a trophy, right? You get a trophy, and that's the way kind of it works in our society. Uh, Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers, said— Winning isn't everything, it's the only thing, you know? And so, I mean, that's just kind of, that's the way it is, you know? He said, if you're not first, you're last. And, uh, you know, he also said, you show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. I mean, in our society, it's all about winning. It's all about being first. Now, I like to win. We all like to win. If you're going to play, you might as well win, you know, right? So, but that's the way our society works. It's all performance-based. It's this evaluation, and we see it in everything, right? We get grades in school. Based on our performance, based on what we do. Uh, Our merit raises at work, based on our performance. Your bonus at the end of the year, based on performance. Everything is based on performance. Sports, it's all about performance. It's all about trophies. And all the trophies have names in sports now, right? They name the trophy, the Lombardi trophy or the MVP trophy or whatever. This trophy has a name because everybody wants a trophy. Now, the challenge comes is this, is that we bring performance then into all of our relationships, don't we? And we'll be friends with people as long as they perform. As long as you do what I want you to do, as long as you act like I want you to act, everything's copacetic, everything's great. But as long as they, you know, there's a disconnect there, and you're not performing, then we've got a problem here. And that can happen in marriage, right? Your spouse, right? They're not doing what I want them to do. And all of a sudden, now we've got some marriage issues and we've got some performance here that I've got to talk about because I'm evaluating you on performance. And the real issue comes down to this when we bring that kind of mentality into our relationship with God. And we think in our minds that somehow I can earn God's favor, that God will love me more based on my performance. And somehow if I can be really, really good, then God has to accept me because, you know, I'm really, really good. But if I mess up or I blow it, then God's going to be mad at me and something bad's going to happen. Like my car's not going to start, I'm going to lose my job or something bad's going to happen because everything comes back to performance. See, the fact of the matter is this, I mean, 95% of the people in the world believe in God. I mean, you know, you look around, you're like, how would you not believe in God? I mean, you got a body, you got an eye that can, you know, focus back there and here, you got a, you know, can smell. I mean, it's unbelievable. But the question is, what kind of God do you believe in? Do you believe in a God that you have to earn his favor? Or do you believe in a God of what we're going to talk about today, of grace, of grace? See, every major world religion is about man trying to get to God. But here's what separates Christianity from every major world religion. It's this. God came to us. And God meets us in grace. And it's not about performance. It's about God's love for us. Last week we began this brand new series called And Be Thankful. And last week we were talking about And Be Thankful for Christ. Oh, praise God. Thank you, God, for Jesus. You know, when we realize what we have in Christ and the depth of God's love for us. And so often we live and our problems are right here in front of us. and We can't see anything else but the challenges of our lives. And yet God comes along and just lifts our eyes to focus on what we have in Christ. And today as we continue our study, we're talking about this and be thankful for grace. And be thankful for grace. And so I'm so excited about today. I'm so glad that you're here. And I believe God has a word for all of us today as we study his word together. If you have a Bible this morning, open with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. New Testament and uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Right there in that area uh, toward the back of your Bible. Colossians chapter 2. Maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures online at Version. You can follow along with us and, and take notes as well. But we're going to be here as we're studying through this book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, pick up in verse 1. Now the Apostle Paul is writing and he says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome. And yet, even being in prison, throughout this letter, every chapter, he talks about be thankful. Oh, and be thankful. Oh, here's some doctrine, here's some theology. Oh, and be thankful be overflowing with thankfulness. He keeps coming back to that. and You're thinking, wow, the guy's in prison. You know, I mean, he ought to be going, God, are you serious? And why am I in prison here? And, and yet he realized that I've got an opportunity now to write a letter that's going to impact not only the church at Colossae, but the church at Laodicea and even believers who will come later on. God, I've got an opportunity here to pray. God, I've got an opportunity to be thankful for who I am in Christ. The reason the apostle Paul was in prison was number one for Jesus Paul was a religious leader. He was a Jewish religious leader, but he believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And he believed that. And, and so the Jews didn't like that, obviously. So he was in prison. He was in prison because of the Gentiles. Everybody thought that, you know, just the gospel was for the Jews. He's going, no, 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 no. The gospel is for all people, that God loves all people. Praise God for that, for you and for me. But he was in prison for the church as well. He believed in the church. And here's the thing about Paul. Paul didn't look at the church and say, Hey, what can the church do for me? Me, 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 me. You know? Paul was about how can I serve the church? How can I build up the church? How can I encourage the church? It's the difference between a consumer and a contributor. it was just a different way of looking at it. And Paul made an incredible difference in his day because he realized he was a part of something bigger than himself. He was a part of something only God could do. And he wanted to build up the church. He wanted to serve the church. So he says in verse 2, My purpose, my purpose is this. Is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. As he was talking about the church in Colossae, the church in Laodicea, because they passed this letter around. He said, guys, here's the thing I want you to know. I want you to be strengthened in encouragement. Now, I love that. You know, maybe you grew up in a church or you don't have a church. Yet. You went to church and then you would leave and you would feel worse about yourself. You know? And Paul's going, no, 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 no. You want to come to church and be encouraged. You've got to come to church and be encouraged because of what God's doing in your life. That God is for you, that God is with you. He says, I'm I'm writing you, I'm encouraging you. This is my purpose, that you would be encouraged. Secondly, that you would be united in love. United in love. Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples. If you have great worship, no, that's important, it's great. If if you have great teaching, no, that's important, it's great. If you have great children's ministry, no, that's important, it's great. He said, by this all men will know you're my disciples, if... You love one another. The way we love each other, it, it communicates to the world the way God loves the church. And so, you and I have this calling, this responsibility to be encouraged when we come to church to love each other. But He also says that you will have a complete understanding of who you are in Christ, and that you would know the mystery. Now, we talked about this—this this mystery. What's this mystery? Well, if you go back to Colossians chapter one verse twenty-seven, the Apostle Paul says, "Here's the mystery." You see, every civilization has always had some form of worship. Everybody's trying to get to God. But the mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That God was send his one and only son. And as God draws you to himself, God invites you into this relationship. God gives you the gift of Christ. That you have been saved by grace. That's the incredible mystery. And he's like, I want everybody to know that. I want you to be encouraged in that truth. I want you to be united in that love. Of grace. He says, I tell you this so that, that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And then look at verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with what? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Paul's going, hey guys, overflow with thankfulness. Think about what God's done for you. Being thankful for what you've received in Christ. Being thankful for what you've received in Christ. Now what is that? It, it's grace. And what is grace? What is grace? Some people have defined grace as this, God's unmerited favor. You know, that in Christ, we received something we didn't deserve. Yeah, which is Right? Uh, some people have defined it as an acronym. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. So true. God's riches at Christ's expense. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It is by grace that you are saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works. Lest no man should boast. And so when you talk about grace, you realize that it's not about works. It's not about accomplishment. It's not about what we have done. It's about what he's done for us. Grace is something that we receive. Grace is something that we can't earn, but that God gives to us. And here's the incredible truth. If grace is something we can't earn, then grace is something we can't lose. Grace is not based on what we do. Grace is based on the love of God in Christ. And the apostle Paul was just overflowing with thankfulness to say, guys, look what you have in Christ. That God loves you. You. That God cares about you. And that's why he was so passionate about this. And he comes along and he says, Hey, look, see, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Hollow philosophy, basic principles of this world, what is that? Evaluation, performance. But we see it spills over into every major world religion, right? I mean, you get what you deserve. Karma, right? If you're really, really good, then you reincarnated as something really, really good. I mean, it depends on what you do here. And yet Christianity is so anti that. And so Paul's going, hey, don't get caught up in the hollow philosophies of this world and make your relationship with God back to performance. Realize what you have, that God is a God of grace. That we're never going to be good enough to get to God. Mother Teresa never thought she'd be good enough Billy Graham never thought he was going to be good enough all of us realize I've sinned, I've blown it, I've messed up we all have and I stand in need of grace and the great news, the incredible news the unfathomable news is that the God of this universe, even when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions he came to us and he met us in our failures he met us in our mistakes and he didn't say, well, sorry, you're out. You've blown it. He said, I love you so much that I'm giving my son. A lot of people think about God and they think when God thinks about them, God's kind of running this whole, you know, mental uh, you know, video of their life. And God's kind of looking back over their life going, whoa, whoa wow. Ooh, blew that one wow man you blew blew that one blew that one and paul's going no 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 that's performance when god looks at you god sees christ that's the mystery christ in you the hope of glory when god looks at you he sees redemption when god looks at you he sees someone that he loves what do you think god thinks about you What do you think God thinks about you? Do you think he thinks, oh, well, they're not good enough or oh, well, they make too many mistakes or oh, well, they're, they're never going to be all that I want them to be or do you think God's going, I love you. <laughs> I believe in you. you, you you're going to do great things. I am for you. Do you think God loves you? Because he does. And Paul's going, don't let this worldly philosophy come back into your relationship with God. Rest. Rest. Live, believe. The grace that covers you is enough. That God is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, right? Capital D, deity, that's God. Christ is fully God, fully man, lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power, And authority in him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and being raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So, Apostle Paul goes, listen, if you go back in the Old Testament, there was circumcision. And there was the law, and and circumcision was that covenant relationship with God. He goes, but now Christ has come, and and there's a new covenant. It's the covenant of a relationship. It's the covenant of love, and that you have a relationship with God. And baptism is that outward expression. Baptism is that identification with Christ. You're dying to your old way of life, going under the water, right? You're being raised to walk in a new life, a new life in Christ. That's the beautiful picture of baptism. And, and some of you, God's been speaking to you about being baptized. And after you've accepted Jesus Christ, as God draws you to himself, there's that next step of following him in believer's baptism. And some people are like, I don't know about that, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, after, every, in front of everybody, being baptized— And yet, you know, we'll take a bucket of cold water and dump it on our head for a good cause. I mean, I did it, right? We all do that, and it's okay. But but then when it comes to baptism, we're like, I don't know about that. And God's going, this is that covenant relationship of following me. I love you. I care about you. It's that outward expression of this inward faith. Baptism. Some of you, that's your next step. I I need to follow. I need to trust. I, I need to make that declaration that Jesus is my Lord. He said, because when you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. How awesome is that? I pray that we would never grow numb to that fact. That when we were dead, when we were helpless spiritually, we we couldn't do anything to earn our way to God. We couldn't be good enough that God came to us. He made us alive in Christ and he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to a cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus took the cross and he said, Guys, you'll never earn it, so I'll pay it for you. You'll never be good enough, and it's okay. I will pay the price for you. And Jesus lived 33 sinless years and he died on the cross for us so that we could receive the grace of God, the gift of God, eternal life in Christ. Praise be to God. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, Live in that grace. Live in that grace. Enjoy life. Embrace life. Live in the grace of God. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. How often do we do that, right? Instead of living in freedom, you know, we continue to try to earn it. You know, over here, we'll accept Christ, and we realize we are saved by grace. But then after we're saved by grace, we come over here, and we think, wait, I still got to earn it. I still got to earn God's favor. I still got to—and then we allow what other people think about us to rule what we think about ourselves. And God's going, wait a minute. Well, what are you doing? I love you so much that I redeemed you. I loved you so much that I sent my son for you. Don't measure your worth or your value by what other people say. Understand who you are in Christ. Live in the freedom of being in Christ. Live in the joy of being in Christ. Embrace that. And yet what we do, we come over and we we just are slaves to what other people think about us. We are slaves to what other people think about our performance, our evaluation. Now we want to do our best, but it's not to earn other people's favor. It's to, to know because we have been saved by grace. He's going, oh, oh, don't fall back into that worldly philosophy. Come on. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That's reality. Do not let, let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head. Now notice head is capitalized there, right? The head, that's Christ. He's lost connection with Christ. He's come back into the worldly philosophy to try to earn and perform from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you have died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Why do we still do that? I've got to earn it. I've got to earn it. I've got to be good enough. I've got to somehow, God's got to like me. God's got to accept me. He's going, no, 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 wait. You know, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all Destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed, you know, worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And what the Apostle Paul is saying there is if I try to measure my worth or my value or my relationship with God and performance, I'm always going to be frustrated. I'm always going to be frustrated because I'm never good enough. I'm always going to make mistakes. I'm going to say things or do things that, that, that I don't feel good about. He goes, live in grace. Live in grace. God is for you. God believes in you. God wants the best for you. Now, it's not a cheap grace, is it? Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about that. It's not a cheap grace. It tells us over in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2. It says, for the grace of God... That brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, here's the difference, right? When we know God loves us, we want to do things in order to please Him because it's love, as opposed to trying to earn His favor and trying to earn His blessing. You know, you have a great relationship with your mom or with your dad. You don't want to just do things to perform. You want to do things because they love you. And so you want to do a good job because it's a relationship of love. And the Apostle Paul's going, hey, under the old law, it was all about law. It was rules and it was regulations. Some of you you may have grown up in a church like that. It was legalistic, you know. It was judgmental. It was, it was just condemning and you, you just felt that weight. But the Apostle Paul's going, no, 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 no you have a new calling in Christ. And in Christ, there is a love relationship. And because of that love, you want to live a life that will bring glory to God. There's a huge difference there. You want to live a life of joy. You want to live a life of peace because your worth and your value comes not in your performance, but your worth and your value comes in Christ. David Siemens, who's a A Christian counselor, he's counseled thousands of couples and thousands of people. And he said this, the two biggest emotional problems I think most Christians have is this. The failure to receive the grace of God. The failure to receive the grace of God. He goes, we hear sermons about it, we talk about it, we have good theology and doctrine, but we don't ever receive it. We don't ever realize that God really does love me. God really does care about me. God really does want the best for me. And he said the second is the failure to give the love and the grace of God to others. And so many times we can receive the grace in our own lives. And we can realize that God is with me, even in my mistakes and even in my failures. But then we can turn right around and hold people accountable based on their performance. And evaluate them based on what they do or what they don't do. Instead of offering grace. Instead of offering grace. Grace. And somehow we feel like there's some control there, right? Like I can control them because, you know what, I'm not going to forgive them. And I'm going to harbor this bitterness. I'm going to harbor this anger. But what it does is it eats us up inside. Instead of just saying, you know what, I've received grace. I'm going to offer grace. I'm going to live in grace. I'm going to live in the freedom of God. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, just as a bird cannot exhaust the air in the sky, or a fish cannot exhaust the water in the sea, so a man cannot exhaust the grace of God. A man cannot exhaust the grace of God. That God just lavishes his love on you. That if God wouldn't withhold his own son from you, I mean, there's nothing that God will withhold from you. God loves you. And he wants you to experience life and life to the full. And it's called grace. It's called Grace. In 1987, there was a Danish film that was released and uh, and it it won a ton of awards on the international film scene. And it it was based on a book by a lady named Karen Blixen. And this lady wrote a book called Babette's Feast. And and it was an incredible story. The story of the film, it's set in 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 a small village in Denmark. It's right there on a port. It's one of those cobblestone villages with thatched roofs and and, and there was a, a man who started a church, and it was a Lutheran church. It was a Lutheran sect, and the entire village came. But they would talk about grace, but it was very legalistic. Everybody wore black, right? Because they didn't want to give in to the central pleasures of the world. You know, they only ate boiled cod and a piece of bread and stew because they didn't want to, you know, like have their taste buds, uh, you know, disturbed by all the things and these exotic things of the world. And so it was very simple, legalistic. It was everything was in a box, and yet the church and it was, did well, and the, and the pastor, and, and the pastor's wife died, and had, he had two little girls. And, and the girls started to grow up, and they were taking care of their dad, and, and the church was growing in and, and the village, and it was good. But it was in a box, and it was legalistic, and it was, it was just kind of, this is what you did. Well, after the father passed away, these, these two daughters were teenagers, and they were trying to take care of the church, and things became a little bit hard. One of them had a suitor who was pursuing her, and, and she said, no, I can't date because I need to stay here in the village and take pe- care of people in the village. He went off to Paris and, and was in the army and was promoted, promoted, promoted. The other sister, she had a beautiful voice, and they, they took care of the church, and they would sing songs, and it, it was good, but, but then there were splits that started to happen in the church, and. And people would get mad at one another and they would harbor this bitterness and the church kind of dwindled in size. Until one night there was a knock at their door and these two sisters opened the door and a lady was standing there and she was all disheveled and it was raining outside. And, and she said, I've come for help. My husband and my son died in the Civil War in France and, and I just need a place to be. And they invited her in. She said, I can help cook. That's one thing I could do. And they said, no, no, no. We have boiled cod. We have bread. We have stew. That's all we eat. That's it. She said, okay. For the next 12 years, this lady Babette lived among the village. And there was something different about her. She she would smile. (laughs) She would laugh. There there was a joy. And people wanted to be around her. There There was life. For 12 years, she was there. One day, she received a letter It was a letter from France, and and she opened it up, and one of her friends kept putting in her name in the French lottery, and she won. She won ten thousand francs. The sisters congratulated her. Wow, she was rich. She was rich. But in their hearts, they knew she was going to go back to Paris, and they would never see her again, and they would lose their friend. But Babette said this. She said, "Here's what I want to do. I know the hundredth anniversary of the church is coming up, and I know there's been some problems and some hardships, but." but I want to cook a meal. I want to just cook a a celebration meal just to thank God for what he's done in our village and with the people. Would you allow me to do that? And the sisters kind of at first were like, no, we only do things that's in a box, it's legalistic, but they said, okay. And she said, I need you to move out of the house because I'm taking over the kitchen. So I need one week of the entire kitchen. And Babette started to cook. And the villagers were so surprised the ships were pulling into the port and off the ships were coming wheelbarrows of fresh vegetables and fresh fruits. Cows were being led down and, and there was even a giant tortoise that they were bringing into the house. And people were like, what is going on? This witch's brew? and what's happening there is she's in there cooking. But the night of the feast came and they all gathered in this little church. And there was fine china that she had brought in and stemware and everything was perfect. The general who was in Paris had come back to be there for the celebration. And Babette started to bring it out. She brought champagne and she brought out wine. And the general looked and said, this is the nicest champagne I've ever seen in my life. This is the nicest wine I've ever seen. And the people were just taken back. They'd never had anything like this. And then she brought out the appetizers and it was amazing. And, and the general was like, this is unbelievable. I've never even seen this kind of food in anywhere in Paris. And, and then they brought out the salads and, and they brought out you know, all the soups and there was tortoise soup and it was amazing. And then the coupe de grace, the, the main course came out and the people were in awe and the general stood up and said there was one cafe in Paris that was known for the most expensive the best food in all of Paris but but it closed 12 years ago and there was a, a female chef that nobody knows what happened to her and Babette stood in the doorway just kind of smiled and something happened at that meal as they brought out the desserts and people were eating people started to open up and share, and forgive, and confess, and to love. And people were crying, and people were praying for one another, and people were hugging, and something magical was happening as grace strolled into that village. And as it began to snow outside the villagers got up from the table and they went outside and they stood and they held hands and they sang worship songs to God and they hugged one another and they praised God for a feast that they could have never afforded. The two sisters turned around to Babette and they know now she's going to head back to Paris after she's done all this because she has all this money. And they walk over and they say, Babette, thank you so much for this meal, but we're so sad. We know you're going to leave us. And then Babette says leave you, where would I go? I spent all 10,000 francs on this one meal for you. Isn't that grace? Isn't that grace? It costs the recipient nothing. It costs the giver everything. Isn't that grace? It's extravagant. It's more than we can even comprehend so many times. It's God loving Us, even when we've messed up and blown it, and because God loves us that way, shouldn't we love others that way? About two years ago, my parents, who had lived in the same house in San Antonio, Texas, for 40 years, my parents packed up to move here to Nashville. And as they were packing up, they were going through and cleaning out the house and going through and putting all my trophies, right? You know, my... Basketball and baseball and golf and all went into bags and all went out the door to the trash. (laughs) And while it was sad because there were a lot of steps that I ran and uh, a lot of balls that I shot, those were incredible memories, but it also reminded me of this, that the things of this world go away with this world. But the things of God are eternal. And what's eternal is grace grace. And you can't earn it, and I can't earn it. But you can't lose it. And once you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. And it's not based on your performance. It's based on his love. And God loves you. And maybe today, you've been trying to earn your relationship with God. You've been trying to be so good. And yet today, God is saying, hey, I love you. And I care about you because of what I've done through my son, Jesus, who paid the price for you. And you will always be mine. Do you know that kind of grace? Do you know that kind of grace? Because I believe this with all my heart. If you and I truly know that kind of grace, we will be overwhelmed with thankfulness. We will be overwhelmed with thankfulness for all the people God's put in our lives, for all the opportunities God's given us, for the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And our lives will look forever different because of grace. This morning, my prayer is that grace would just stroll in and maybe catch us unaware, but that there's a God who loves you more than you can even imagine. And there's a God who is for you, who wants to pour his love out on you. Will you receive it today? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment, just for a moment, just between you and God, nobody else. Where are you today today? stirring in your heart and your life. That's not me. That's not the church. That's the spirit of God working in you. God drawing you to himself. And maybe today, today is a day of salvation where you say, yes, God. Yes, I receive. Yes, God. I want to be your child. Maybe today, you are a child of God. You've received the grace of God. But honestly, if you look at your life, you're not overflowing with thankfulness. The things of this world, the performance has weighted you down. And today, you just say, God, I want to live in your grace. God, you're going to take care of me. God, you love me. Or maybe today, you've received grace. But, but honestly, in your marriage, or with your kids, or with your roommates, or with the people around you, you're not offering Grace. You're holding people to performance standard. And today God's just saying, hey, because I love you, you love others. Because of what I've done for you, you do for others. Father God, I pray today that we would understand the depth of your love and the depth of your grace. God, it's hard for us to even get our minds around a God who would come to us. Leave the throne room of heaven (laughs) But God, today, I pray that you would give us a glimpse that one day in heaven, there will be the wedding feast of the lamb and God, it will just blow us away. But for now, give us a glimpse of living in that grace of being people who are overflowing with thankfulness because of who you are and what you've done for us. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And thank you for your grace. Father, we love you and we dedicate our lives to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen.